Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we'll be breaking down some top redraft targets and fades with an emphasis on guys we have ranked much higher than their present ADP and truly just guys that we've been drafting throughout the offseason. I mean, whether it's best ball, dynasty, redraft, you know, we've had several, more than several, long months to go through these players. These are the guys that we've been targeting and ending up on our rosters most often that we consider values or guys we're just completely fading because we do not trust them at all. And yes, I'm saying we because it's not just me today. Very excited to have on a fellow PFF worker of mine. You also might know him from his work as Established a run, maybe even the fantasy football hustle. Dwayne McFarland. Dwayne, how's it going, man? Man, I'm doing great, Ian. Love getting on the show. Um, happy to talk football. Values, fades, and I, I like the way you put it. You know, who are the guys we've actually been drafting? Because you will hear a lot of shows where people talk a lot about people, but I want to know where the convictions are. <laughs> Exactly, man. It's easy to put together the rankings list, but you know, at the end of the day, who are you coming away with? You know, I get some crap on Twitter sometimes where people go, Oh, it seems like you like everyone, man. And look, it is hard to say bad things about these professional athletes sometimes. I mean, everyone in the NFL is amazing exactly. and a million times better at football than you, me, or any of the listeners out there will ever be. So, you know, every time we say someone sucks, you know, take that with a grain of salt. And I think we do, but yes, yeah. like, so today, again, the guys we've been coming away with and Dwayne, I'm going to let you start with one of your top values, a certain running back that plays for the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love Cam Akers. And again, I like him as the player, but really what I like is, you know, the situation, right? He's, he's going to a backfield that's got Malcolm Brown. It's got Daryl Henderson. Now Henderson, you know, was a decently high draft pick last year but both have never done anything. And so, I mean, if you look at the history of second round running backs, when they've landed in a true wide open situation, which is what I would call that backfield, 55% of the time, the, the new player coming in has been able to win that. Now, again, look, there's a lot of noise potentially in that data, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the other, the flip side to that is the cost. I love Jonathan Taylor. Everybody does, right? He's a better player than Cam Akers, but he lands in a backfield where you've got Marlon Mack, who's had a thousand yards rushing two seasons in a row. Yes, he's in a better offense. Yes, he has a better offensive line, but at the same time, everything really comes down to touches. So if I've got to take John, Jonathan Taylor in the third and heck, who, how high is that going to go, right? With all of the you know, the videos running around. I, I was kind of thinking, I was kind of thinking, hey, maybe without preseason, we won't have these guys blow up. Oh, no, now it's just about videos and preseason, you know, and are in a training camp. But so when I compare that, right, to a Jonathan Taylor, when I look at a guy like Cam Akers, and you can get him in the fifth or sixth round, he's a great part of your strategy. Um, we'll talk about our fades in a minute. But that also fits into this as I look at that range of players. And I'm, I'm always looking for upside. And, you know, I want a solid floor, but I want upside, but I want it at the right price. You know, I don't want to pay a second or a third round pick to get my upside, but if I can get it in the fifth round, I love it. And it just gives, it gives you a chance as a drafter because to me this year and every year is different. You really want to come in most formats, you want to come away with three running backs in your first five to six picks. So this gives you some flexibility on how you go about it. You don't have to go running back, running back, running back, and maybe take somebody you don't like in the third round. Um, instead, you can skip a few, you grab a couple receivers and you come back to a guy like Akers and you still get the upside. You got the Rams offense, which we know can be good um, down the stretch last year. They were much better when they went to more 12 personnel, got old Johnny Munt on the field there. Um, so, I mean, it was just a better offense whenever they decided to go heavier on the running game and they changed things up after Brandon Cook. Uh, Brandon Cooks got hurt, which, hey, now Brandon Cooks is gone. So those are the things that, I, that excite me about Akers. 
Even though Akers doesn't have Jonathan Taylor's just tree trunk legs or A.J. Dillon, for that matter, the guy was stunned a pretty swaggy visor in practice the other day. So I want people <laughs> to keep that in mind. But, yeah, man, I agree with everything you said. There is a bunch of upside here. And even just, you know, looking at the Rams more, more specifically than historical draft picks and some of that things. I mean, Sean McVay is a guy that uses a feature back. I mean, he's coached 52 games with the Rams, including the playoffs. His RB1 has played 60% or more snaps in 48 of those games. And even the non-qualified games were like 50% plus. I mean, there's just never been a situation where he hasn't been leaning on one back. It's usually been Gurley, but we saw CJ Anderson step in that role. Even last year when Gurley was out, we saw Malcolm Brown really step in that one week and beat his feature back. You know, I know we've seen the offseason coach speak about McVay saying, oh, we're happy to have four of these guys, but man, if it's one of these things where, okay, slightly step back in the Rams offense last year, still the 11th ranked scoring unit. And history tells us he's going to lean on one guy out of, you know, Henderson, Brown, Akers, even, you know, our John Kelly shooters of the world. It seems like Aker is the most well-suited, most well-rounded to take that bell cow role if anyone's going to get it. Yeah, I agree. And the one thing I would say, a great, you know, thing you bring up there on the, on the quotes from McVay, when I read those and I went back and read them, you, you probably do the same thing, Ian. Like I see these things pop up and I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I want to be open to it. And I go read it. And I'm like, man, I've read this thing five times. And the main thing that I'm seeing here is he says that he's willing to use a committee, but if one guy steps up and takes over, then he's going to go with it. And so that's the other side of that comment. So you just always got to make sure you go back and read the whole thing um, versus sometimes the blurbs that get shared with us, you know, through, and, and I get it, you know, that's the way Twitter works, right? <laughs> Everything's a blurb. Yeah, for sure, man. That's what we got to take the offseason coach speak and try to find situations where that matches the coach's past tendencies and what we've seen. And that's going to take me to my value because I do think we have that situation going on with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm going to read a quote from Mike Tomlin earlier this offseason. I'm a featured runner type guy by mentality. No question in today's game. A featured runner needs to be supplemented and supplemented by guys who are capable of doing similar things in case he misses time. Usually when it's going well, it's because you have a lead dog out front and that guy is a featured runner. James Conner is a featured guy and proven runner when healthy. We're excited about him getting back to health and displaying that in 2020. That's a lot of fluff. That's a lot of saying we want to run with one guy. But what do we know about Mike Tomlin and Steelers? He uses one guy every season up until last year, and now it's just more because of injuries than anything. I mean, from 2014 to 2018, we had Le'Veon Bell, D'Angelo Williams, Connor, Jalen Samuels, even Stephon Ridley. These guys averaged at least 17 touches per start whenever they were given the rock. There was never a situation where the Steelers starting running back was being supplemented by even like a scat back. It's always just been a three-down guy in Pittsburgh and unfortunately last season we didn't see that because Connor had these injury concerns and you know that didn't mean he wasn't producing this was the PPR RB9 in weeks one through eight last season and you know for every injury concern with James Connor I think that's already being baked into his price there's a reason why he's not being drafted among the top 20 running backs in a lot of these drafts and you know something you mentioned before you know you want to get out of these top five rounds usually with three running backs I'm not asking you to take James Connor in the top 12 or 13 but I cannot think of a better runner with a better chance at this featured role in this, you know, round four or five range than James Conner. Yeah, we're, we're totally on the same page. You know, I, I actually wrote about Conner as one of my uh, values in, a, in an article at PFF and you hit it on the head. What I like about what you just did there is you talked about what were the quotes from Tomlin and then actually going back and looking, well, does it back, does he actually, has he actually backed that up? And so when those two things come together, that's typically what I'm looking for. So with some coaches, I'm going to value what they say 
much more than others because some coaches are always fluff like Bill Belichick today you heard the thing probably you know kind of an uh, you know kind of a news item here you know somebody directly asked him would you be willing to rotate quarterbacks Belichick's answer was well I'm always willing to do what's best for my team Belichick didn't voluntarily come out and say hey we may be starting two quarterbacks now he's done it in the past to be fair if you go back to his days in Cleveland uh you know he did a little bit of that but that's going way 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 back um but but as far as you know Connor goes man I'm with you I'm pretty much taking him you know in mid and high stakes drafts I'm taking him in the third round I I bet I've drafted him in half of my third rounds um you know this past weekend I did it I start I got this past weekend, I had um, the three-hole and the FFPC Football Guys Player Championship uh, twice in the weekend. First time, I went Zeke, Connor, and then I went DJ Moore. The next time, I went Zeke and DeAndre Hopkins fell to that spot. So I, it's, car, it's hard to get Hopkins there, and I'm, I'm not as you know afraid of Hopkins as others. But then Connor came back in the third, and I took him. So it's to your point, he, and he fits perfectly to that strategy with Akers. I like Akers as my RB3. So if I can come away, especially if I'm drafting in that top six or seven, if I come away with, you know, a Zeke or, you know, a Barkley, and then I can come back in the third round right there around that turn, and I get Connor, and then I can come back and get Acres in the fifth, man, I feel pretty good, you know, about my three backs, and I can just pound those receivers and tight ends. It's one of those things where if the worst thing you can say about a guy is, okay, he's going to get hurt, just be positive this guy is going to get hurt because if we could turn injuries off for this season, James Conner would be a consensus top 10 pick in fantasy drafts of all shapes and sizes. So don't be afraid to get that upside when it, the upside is that big and it's not costing you a top two round pick to do so. Now, moving on to your next value, it's another guy where you know I'm seeing the analysis a lot of times just stop that he's going to get hurt. And I'm talking about Brandon Cooks, Deshaun Watson's new potential wide receiver one. Yeah. And even if he's not the wide receiver one, right. I I just stay really excited about, you know, Brandon cooks because what he's really able to do, you know, from a standpoint of working the field vertically is just a better fit with Deshaun Watson. That's not something that Jared Goff actually did very well. And if you look at the, a, the number of times that Deshaun Watson goes deep, you know, from a percentage standpoint versus Goff, it was like 16% versus like 11% last year. The year before, it was, a, it was a smaller edge, but it was still there. But when you look at the accuracy, and again, you got to be careful with accuracy samples over 20 yards, but when you have multiple years like you do with Deshaun Watson, it's superior to Jared, to Jared Goff. So, and, and then if you pair that with uh, Brandon Cooks, if you look at him over the last five years, nobody in the NFL has had more um, you know, targets where he had more than two yards of separation, which at PFF is qualified as open, meaning, hey, get me the ball so I can take <laughs> off and score. And so that excites me about, you know, Brandon Cooks. Like Will Fuller, I think every week he's healthy is going to obviously, he has wide receiver one upside and you're going to feel great. But we also have to factor in that with Will Fuller, and this is, for me, it's even a little bit different than, you know, James Conner. James Conner's kind of had some weird freaky things that have happened to him, but Fuller, it's the constant, you know, uh, soft tissue type stuff, right? This is kind of over and over. And I'm not saying don't draft Will Fuller. I draft both of these guys and don't worry about it, Um, you know, because Fuller can win you all 12 weeks he starts. He could literally win all your games for you. So, so you, Fuller's still in play. But what I like about, you know, Cooks is he may not be very far behind him. Yes, he's going to have to get into sync with Watson. So I, I do have him slightly behind him on a per game, on a per game average. But if he picks things up and then all of a sudden, if you've got a few games where, Fuller, where Fuller's out and he becomes the focal point of the offense, that's just, you know, added on top. And, and a lot of it, again, it's, it's like what you've talked about on Twitter. You know, we don't hate any players or just love some players more than, you know, others. I mean, sometimes we may, but it's all about the ADP. And, and you know, Brandon Cooks right now is just getting overlooked. So if I come away with those 
three three backs on the top five rounds. You know, Cook's usually there in the eighth round, and it's just easy. It's just you know, he's a guy that I look at, and I'm like, yeah, he's had the concussions, but really, I mean, he's missed two games in the last three years, I believe. I, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, Ian, but I want to say it's right at that. So it's not like you know, this is something where you know, he's been knocked out of, you know, games over and over and over. Now he has had multiple, multiple concussions. So we're going to have to watch out for that. But yes, uh, Brandon Cooks is a guy that I'm definitely all over, especially in the eighth round. Yeah, man, you actually were underselling it. He's only missed two games in the last five seasons. And yeah, the, the concussions are absolutely concerning. But again, you're using a round eight pick on the guy. You're not going to look back at your fantasy team in December and go, wow, you know, if I hadn't have gotten that eight round pick on Brandon Cooks, you know, things would really be looking different. Like this is the point in the draft where you should be going nothing but upside because his range of outcomes is so much higher than, you know, most other wide receivers being drafted in that range. And look, DeAndre Hopkins is the man. He is so good, but so is Deshaun Watson. And he's not going to stop being good just because Hopkins is gone. I mean, among all QBs to ever start at least 16 games, Watson is fourth in completion rate, eighth in touchdown rate, sixth in adjusted yards per attempt, fifth in overall passer rating. And that's not even mentioning the types of things he can do off script and with his legs. I mean, truly one of the top five talents I think we have in this league with or without Hopkins. You know, we kind of joke on Twitter a little bit about how this Texans offense could resemble, you know, just four verse every play with the guys that got out there, a wide receiver. Maybe that's what Watson needs to just even be better than he has been because as great as Hopkins was, how many games did we see over the years where Fuller was hurt and, you know, Hopkins is playing injured or just getting the whole defense to focus on him. And we're getting Kiki Cootie and these random guys getting 15 targets per game. I mean, DeAndre Carter was getting fantasy consideration at different points over the last two years. Now we have actual, at a minimum, above average NFL wide receivers in this offense. And I'm with you, man. It doesn't need to be Fuller or Cooks. It can be Fuller and Cooks. And I'll tell you what, even Randall Cobb at the end of the drafts, yep. you know, there are worse ways to spend draft picks than on this Texans offense. Man, that's a great bonus one. Um, I know we're just doing two here, but Randall Cobb, um, you know, you can get him in the 15th, 16th, 17th round. You know, now I know a lot of drafts don't go that deep, but, you know, a lot of the ones I do are 20-round drafts. Um, man, I, I literally have him – I'd have to go look at my latest percentages, but I want to say he's on like 65% of my team <laughs> because I'm just like, that's just easy – it's easy money. I mean, you know, he had 800 yards last year. They could potentially run, you know, a lot more 11 this year. And then when you factor in, if for some reason Fuller's out, there could be those weeks where he gets more of a funnel situation. And the other thing is, I just think that when I look at the Texans, they run a ton of 12 personnel, but I kind of wondered, did they just do that because they had to? I know Bill O'Brien came from the Patriots and, you know, he used to have Gronk and Aaron Hernandez in one of his seasons there as the offensive coordinator, but he's, you know, he may not be the best coach in the world, but he knows that Jordan Aikens and freaking, uh, you know, Daniel Fells. I mean, that, that's not, is that really the best way, you know, to, to optimize your offense? I think we'll see a lot more 11. Yeah, I like that call. I mean, Randall Cobb is literally just discount uh, Jamison Crowder. He's going to get the targets. You're not going to feel good about picking him. Your friends might laugh at you, but, you know, we'll see who's laughing, you know, in week 16 when the guy beats his ADP by a good 30 spots. So another guy that I'm really interested in, like Cobb, that's just – he's pretty much free. You can get him at the end of almost any draft, and that's Jets tight end Chris Herndon. And, you know, maybe some of these quotes from the last week are going to change this, but I've been attacking Herndon all offseason just because everyone is still so bummed about – last year that we have an extremely talented tight end going outside the top 20 players at his position. And, you know, here is the quote from Adam Gase to, you know, just put this idea more into context. 
talking about Herndon, he's our starting tight end. It's rare to have a guy with the ability to be as effective as a pass catcher and a guy that's explosive when he gets the ball in his hands and still be an on-the-line tight end that can block in the run game and also pass protect. Chris does give you something that you just don't see a lot with all tight ends across the league where you can say, I can leave him in protection and feel comfortable. Adam Gase like, doesn't say nice things about anyone, and he's going out of his way to praise Herndon. And he should because there's nothing that Herndon has done on the field to lead us to believe is anything other than a great tight end. Last year, suspended, pulls his hamstring running routes on air. He just couldn't, couldn't get out there. But it's not like Ryan Griffin blew away the world. We've had, you know, Beat reporters all offseason knowing that the Jets are excited to get Herndon involved. Now the head ball coach is saying it himself. Could not ask for just a more depleted, you know, receiving core to go after. I mean, I think any reasonable person should be putting Herndon two, maybe three at the worst in this offense to project the targets. And I mean, it really wouldn't be the craziest thing if Herndon is one of the very few tight ends in the league that goes ahead and leads his entire team in targets. And, you know, I talked about that talent. And just to put that in a little more context, these are the only rookie tight ends to average at least eight yards per target since 2000. Since 2000. Mark Andrews, Gronk, Hunter Henry, Heath Miller, Aaron Hernandez, Noah Font, Jordan Reed, Zach Ertz, George Kittle, and Chris Herndon. The guy's a stud. The workload's going to be there. And again, man, he's free. Like, okay, if you have Kittle, Kelsey, or Andrews, I get it. You're not really taking another tight end probably at all. But I see no reason why you can't be having Chris Herndon on your team as either your, you know, one or worst case, your backup tight end. Yeah, man, I, I, I love the call. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing is with Mims getting off to a slow start, right, he's injured. Um, they're basically just trying to dial up any receiver they can find, you know, to bring in to actually just take practice reps. You know, it's tough on rookie receivers to miss these kind of snaps, you know, Ian. So if we think about, you know, uh, you know, well, heck, think back to Brashad Perriman and Devontae Parker. That's how they got out of, the, out of the gate in their careers. Now, I'm not saying that that's what killed them all the way to this time. But, you know, there, you see a lot of rookie receivers that when they come in, and I think it's more susceptible to this because, you know, it's, it's about, there's so many more moving parts, you know, so the quarterback, A, you know, you get the timing down. Then B, the quarterback's got to basically know your body language. So he knows when you're about to do what, so he can throw the ball, you know, in anticipation. Then you got to get on the same page of, okay, in this option route, when you see this, I'm seeing this, are you seeing the same thing as me, right? And if those things aren't there, well, guess what? You don't get the ball thrown your way because it turns into an interception. You know, see James Washington with the Steelers. I mean, he's a great downfield receiver, but Ben just never would truly rely on him because when you go watch the film, you know, he would break the route the wrong way. And then all you, you just see Roethlisberger putting his hands up, you know, and that's what that is. And, and, and look, again, that's not hate on Washington. He's a young receiver and he could still do some things as well in the league, but that's the kind of thing you're going to be dealing with with Denzel Mims and Rashad Perriman's still new to the team too, who I really like. Perriman's a guy that I draft a lot as well. But I'm with you on Herndon. Um, and in fact, I probably, you know, I, that's what I love about doing these shows and talking with people. Um, you know, you, Matt Waldman, you know, um, had Evan Silva on, you know, our pod here recently. You know, it's just like that aren't that iron sharpens iron. Because right now, even at PFF, I've got, you know, Chris Herndon as my tight end. And he's in my tier eight, tight end two with upside based on a wide range of utilization outcomes. So I've got Ur Smith, Jay Sternberger, Ian Thomas, Blake Jarwin, Chris Herndon, all right there together. But really, based on the news with Mems, the additional things that we keep hearing, I need to move Herndon up, you know, one tier um, and to, you know, really my tier that's above that, where I've got Jared Cook, Austin Hooper, Jake, uh, Jack Doyle. I think he, he firmly belongs in that tier right now. So I like the call. 
Yeah, man. And again, it's just that ADP, it's free. And, you know, as I was talking before about Brandon Cooks, like there's no way you look at your fantasy draft in December and just, oh, no, Chris Herndon in round 15. That's what doomed my team. <laughs> Take a chance on the guy. He's talented. All the targets could be there. And, yeah, you know, even if Denzel Mims does come up, like there's no reason why Herndon can't be a productive number two right. or number three. It's not sexy in the New York offense with Gase. And, I mean, I don't have high expectations for Sam Darnold this year, but he can do enough to make Chris Herndon a fantasy stud. So those are some of our value. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, quick question just for you real quick, Ian. Just, and it's more of a, a draft strategy um, question. You know, what is your strategy this year on tight end? Is it, is it, is, are you basically saying, look, if I can get one of the top three guys, I'll do it at the right price. Otherwise, you're punting. Or, or do you have just – are you really liking the idea of waiting? I mean, there's so many guys this year sitting down there in that, you know, 9 to 12 range, you know, of your draft, um, you know, uh, and I'm talking rounds, you know, if you're in a 12-man, you know, league that just – and even later, and so I draft in a lot of tight end, tight end premiums, so I have to remember that, right? And a lot of drafts, to your point, those guys are probably in the 12th and 15th rounds. Yeah. So what is your strategy overall? it's the former man you know if i can get kittle kelsey andrews at a reasonable spot i'm going to do that i mean those are the number one options in their passing games maybe tyreek passes kelsey but with Mahomes there you know we're getting the production either way after that it's like okay zach Ertz, dallas goddard was you know almost target for target with them at the end of last year evan ingram can he stay healthy tyler higby most dangerous splits in fantasy football gronk is he even going to have the snaps hunter henry new quarterback darren waller jason witten's in town you know no fan new guys there Mike Jasicki will he have the same role with Chan Gailey Jared Cook crowded offense like all those guys that people are reaching on in the middle rounds they have questions and okay not all of them are going to bust or anything but like these are all viable questions it's why we don't have you know a big five or big six at tight end so you know while everyone is you know spending all offseason wondering if Tyler Higby deserves to be a number six tight end just fade that group as a whole man if you don't get one of the top three um, it's exactly like get Chris Herndon Johnny Smith later. Like I'm not taking Hayden Hurst inside the top 10 rounds just because like he could do what Austin Hooper does. There's like 20 tight ends that could do what Austin Hooper did last season. You know, as you, even the guys you mentioned in the tier that Herndon is currently in, like your Jay Sternberger, Ian Thomas is of the world. I mean, those, those dudes could produce too, man. Like, are, are you with me on this? If you can get the top three, great. If not, let's go get some dudes in rounds 12 and 15. I am. That's pretty much my strategy. Now, sometimes uh, everybody's on that same strategy to some extent this year. So you'll get what will happen in some drafts. Now, Ingram doesn't. Ingram basically goes right after Waller. Um, But outside of that, that next group is pretty mixed. So sometimes, you know, one of those players will get pushed down to me at like round nine or 10. And those are the times when I'll say, fine, I'll take Hunter Henry here, you know, because I don't normally get him and, you know, he's here. Um, you know, that kind of thing, because it's, 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 it's not a player that I'm necessarily afraid of taking and that I think is a bad player. It's just to your point, I think his range of outcomes is very similar to a lot of the guys that you can get later. Yeah, the percentage chance he's going to hit on his range of outcomes is obviously better, but we can grab two of these other guys, you know, or grab one and just be ready to pounce week one. Don't, don't. That's the thing I was saying tied in this year. If you do wait and you only draft one, you know, don't be afraid after week one, you pounce early. As soon as you see the one, right, that's going to be the one, because one of them is going to break out. The only other guy I will say um, is I do draft, I've drafted Higby a couple of times. And the only reason is because he is the one that I do believe, like he has a legit shot at, at, 
if things broke right. And to your point, it's a coin flip. <laughs> but he has a legit shot that if it does break right for him, he can end up in the top three. Yeah. And so there's a legitimate reason there, you know, to, to go for it. But outside of that, yeah, I don't. And again, on Higby, it's usually if he falls to like round seven or eight, you know, I'll, I'll that's when I'll consider, you know what, I'm going to take his upside here. But it's, it's really an upside bet more than anything. As I said, man, scariest splits in fantasy football only because he was so ungodly good for the last five weeks of the year and just, you know, average yeah. before then. So, you know, it's a, it's a toss up, but yeah, you know, and that's definitely, I agree with you on the redraft, you know, don't be afraid to go get one of these guys after a big week and, you know, just looking at best ball for a second too. I think, you know, if you don't get one of George Kittle, Kelsey or Mark Andrews, go ahead and get three of these guys. You don't have to figure out when they're going to go off. And if you can leave, you know, with a Herndon, a Johnu Smith, even someone late, you know, if you're not feeling good about the tight end position in best ball, you want to grab a Dawson Knox late. You know, I was talking on our strength and schedule pod um, a couple uh, week ago or so where, you know, Dawson Knox, the first four weeks of the season, just he's set up to absolutely smash if he can get the targets the whole year. I don't know, but there's at least some upside and you know when i am playing best ball doing so over at underdog so make sure you guys want to do some best ball load up on those late round tight ends do it at underdog you can use code pff after you make your first deposit get a free entry into their one million dollar tournament so you know when chris herndon goes out there week 16 puts up you know two tutties 90 yards and seven catches you know a 35 point jets loss remember where you heard this podcast and go get that million dollars so those were our values to start off. And just a quick refresher, those were Chris Herndon, Brandon Cooks, James Conner, and Cam Akers. Dwayne, I think you got something to get off your chest here, man, because I, you I asked you for two fades, and I got back five running backs that you want to talk about. So go ahead. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll lump them into one. I think what I sent you in the message is I'm fading Le'Veon or John Early, <laughs> which is Le'Veon Bell, Leonard Fournette, um, you know, David Johnson and Todd Gurley. And, and look, this is not hate against the players. What, those players are all going to be in line for volume. But if I am building my team to try to win championships, and I know what the lay of the land looks like, right? And I, I know how I need to think about my drafts. If I can plan for it, I'm going to avoid them. And so really, quite often, like I said, I'm coming away with a running back, you know, in my first two rounds, sometimes two. And then the other issue you have is opportunity cost, right? So if I come back and I'm staring, you know, at the end of the third, at those guys, beginning of the fourth, staring at each one of those players, here's my issue, Ian, is I don't want to pass on Adam Thielen. I don't want to pass on A.J. Brown. Are you kidding me? I don't really want to pass on Odell Beckham Jr., you know, for, for those guys, because I feel each one of those players has a ceiling in their outcome and a, and a, and a, and a really solid floor as well. And so I just, you know, I like all of those players, you know, so that's really what it comes down to. I don't think that, you know, those players are necessarily going to maybe lose your league for you, but I don't think they're going to win your league for you either. You know, if it, my, 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 my goal is to crush people, not, not to just kind of try to win, you know, uh, the best years I've ever had in fantasy football, you know, playing in, you know, a lot of these huge major tournaments. And, you know, I mean, I've finished in the top five multiple, multiple times, you know, I just don't, I don't, I don't make those, those plays. I'm all about roster construction and balancing things out, but avoiding those types of players has always worked for me. Every once in a while, does someone like a Curtis Martin when he's like 33, just bust off. You're like, Whoa, that was awesome. It happens. It does happen. You know? And if I were to pick one guy out of the group, I would still probably lean, you know, to Gurley. Um, but I just, I just don't see them as being worth enough for me to pass on the receivers that I like taking 
looking there. And we already talked about how I feel about acres and I can get him a, you know, two to a round and a half later. And I like his upside. Yeah. I mean, it's been, you know, a big narrative throughout this off season where people are talking about robust RB or your modified zero RB, which pisses me off because it's not zero RB. So don't include that in the phrasing <laughs> of it. But like, I encourage people, if you have not done your home league draft yet, and you know, you're just kind of trying to catch up real quick, do one or two mock drafts or do a best ball draft and like, just look at the RB wide receiver situation in round four or five, because once the top 15 running backs are gone, like you're picking between your Le'Veon Bells, Fournette's, David Johnson's, Melvin Gordon's, Gurley's of the world, and you're having to fade your Adam Thielen's, your Allen Robinson's, and these top 12 wide receivers that are still there. You know, the running backs are flying off early. You want to get some of those top 15 running backs, but, you know, restrain yourself from reaching on that wide receiver early. Go get your Josh Jacobs, even if, you know, someone like DeAndre Hopkins might be available. You know, this is just, I'm not saying every single draft need to do that, but I want to come away with two or three of those top 15 running backs so I don't have to focus on these guys and I can still take the baller receivers available. I'm, I'm with you, man. And I, I do think David Johnson out of this group is the guy I would uh, stick with just because, I mean, when you trade your franchise's like most beloved figure for him, I think think you know we're gonna see bill o'brien go ahead and just feed david johnson as many touches as he can get until the wheels uh, fall off but you know definitely a volume play and I i'm not going to be disappointed if i can you know get james connor over johnson or some along that line so um i heard you say Gurley uh would be the one guy you might go to and man i just my one hesitation with Gurley, it's not even before the whole him limping throughout training camp i, mean, I think we know he's not the same player um as he was a couple years ago but i'm just not all that convinced he's going to get that you know 80 percent plus snap roll man i mean Devonte yeah. freeman was never never able to get that tevin coleman was never able to get that i think we're assuming you know a little bit with our melvin gordons with our girlies maybe i'm even making the mistake with david johnson like when running backs are changing offenses we better be pretty sure they're gonna be okay because there's a low floor there for everyone involved yeah absolutely and again they really are just volume plays and that's not bad volume is the number one thing you need um, so that's kind of your starting point. But at, at the same time, it, again, it's all about opportunity costs. If I was able to get those players five or six rounds later, I might even build a strategy around certain drafts where I would plan on grabbing one of them. But I just don't want to take them where I where they go because of, to your point, the receivers are, that are there. I'm never going to feel good about taking Todd Gurley versus Alvin uh, versus Allen Robinson or versus, you know, Adam Thielen or AJ Brown. I'm just not, and you know, I like to feel good coming out of my drafts. <laughs> <laughs> not trying to feel bad. I'm with you, man. All right. My fade now, Cooper cup. And, you know, I, I was watching some highlights today. Like he had that touchdown or I'm sorry, he got stopped at the one inch line against the saints last year where he just broke five or six tackles, like looked like a complete monster. And he was absolutely crushing it last season to start. I mean, the PPR wide receiver two in weeks one through eight. Then the second half of the season uh, happened, man. And you talked about this before uh, with Higby, but the Rams really started embracing 12 personnel a whole lot more. And, you know, Cup slides down to wide receiver 21 in weeks 10 through 17. And just the snap rates, man, were really alarming. I mean, he only played 28% of the offensive snaps in week 14, perfectly healthy, finishes the year with back-to-back -back, back -back performances, which is 61% of the snaps. You know, he, was, he still had 18 targets in those games. You know, they got him the ball. It's not like he was being ignored, but – Clearly some, you know, 
mumbo jumbo stuff was happening there. And it's like, we have Devonte Parker like splits. You know, we had a guy who was the number two receiver for part of the season and outside the top 20 in the other part, but cup, unlike Parker is still being priced, you know, as like a top 13, 14 guy in a lot of these drafts. So like for me, I'm taking Robert Woods ahead of cup every single time because the targets are close but we can project another 15 to 20 rush attempts for woods that have not been there for cup i think woods might just be a little bit better uh overall and you know once i make that decision on woods over cup it's like why do i want to take cup over just undisputed number ones like dj chark Devonte parker Cortland sutton you know i have cup as my wide receiver 25 maybe that's low maybe this rams offense can you know get back to enabling two high-end guys but you know just with their fa- failure to do anything on the offensive line, you know, Cam Akers, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with taking a chance on because a little bit later in the draft, and he just has a chance to get so much volume that he could make up for uh, the offensive line issues like we saw him do at Florida State. But Cup, I could see him being that one guy in the offense that, you know, takes a step back this year, not necessarily because he's a worse player in 2020 than he was in 2019 or 2018, but just new, newer look Rams offense without having Cooks to stretch the field. It would make sense if uh, he's not able to get kind of the same sort of success going. And, you know, had Matt Harmon on his podcast a little earlier in the summer. And, you know, the stat he brought up, uh, you know, I thought was really interesting where Cup has never finished above the 12th percentile in success rate versus man or press coverage at any point in his career. Like, again, look, I, that play he had against the Saints last year was just so incredible. And I, I'm not saying Cup's a bad football player by any stretch of the imagination. But if there is a wide receiver in this top 15, top 20, and you look, look at this, they are just all complete studs. I think Cup might be the one guy who has, you know, benefited from scheme and just kind of his coach setting him up more so than the other guys. And I just have questions if that's going to continue in a potentially worse version of the Rams offense in 2020. Yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're aligned. I'm not just trying to agree with you. <laughs> I'm oh, hoping we have something we disagree on. But, uh, you know, I, I I had Cooper Cup as my number one fade at receiver. And, again, it's not the player. It's it's down to what happened down the stretch. When I look at what the Rams offense did, when they went to more 12 personnel, and it was after Brandon Cooks started having the concussion issues, um, and now Brandon Cooks is gone, like – the best blueprint I can see right now for how the Rams are going to approach their offense is going to be similar to what we saw at the end of the year. That is also when Jared, I mean, whenever Jared Goff was at his best, you know, Goff splits, if you look at those last five weeks, I want to say average about 325 yards a game passing. Um, And before that, it was really pathetic. Um, So that would be with Higby, you know, so that would be the positive, right? That would be with Higby, you know, on the field. Um, And when you're in 12, here's, here's the big issue, you know, for cup. When they were in 12 personnel last year, Cooper Cup had 11 snaps in 12. When they were in 11 personnel, you know, Cooper Cup was the, Cooper Cup had more um, snaps from 11 than any other receiver, um, you know, on the Rams last season. But when they go to that 12 formation, they actually go to Josh Reynolds. And I think, you know, that's the thing people have to think about is while we are talking fantasy, it still all comes back to football. So Josh Reynolds is a field stretcher. So you always want to have a vertical component if you can in your offense on on the field. So the defense has to respect that. They have to keep the safety back, you know, depending on down and distance. Cooper Cup doesn't really create that that kind of a situation. The other thing is Cooper Cup, you know, from a blocking standpoint, he's decent. But, you know, Reynolds is actually, you know, a better blocker. And, and also having an extra tight end on the field is obviously a way better option, right, than having Cooper Cup as a, as a blocker. So those are all things that I think, you know, when coaches are getting ready for how do I best deploy, you know, my weapons, um, you know, they're considering these things. And I think Cup's still going to have some huge games. 
um, you know, in games where the Rams trail and, and all of a sudden, you know, they're just all down 21 points. I think you'll see a ton of 11 in, the, in those weeks. Great. Use cup. What I would say is in DFS and the games where the Rams, you know, were favored, you know, to be like a seven point underdog this season. Those are your weeks. Those are your weeks. Get ready. Put Cooper cup in your lineup. Everybody else will be off of him. You get him in because of the two weeks before he's done nothing. People are like, I don't know what to do with this guy. So, and I'm also with you on Woods. You know, Woods, if you, if you look at that stretch you talked about, 25% of the targets, to your point, he always gets the rushing attempts and nobody talks about it. You do. You're the person <laughs> that talks about it. And, and I mean, he's got, he had 17 rushing attempts, you know, in the last, uh, what, it, each of the last two years, I believe. No, 19 and 17, you know, 272 yards, two touchdowns. So for me, Woods is one of those guys that I just love the floor on. Um, and I think he's got a little bit of a sneaky upside, especially because if they're in 12 more and cups off the field, and let's say people always, people think that Everett will be the second tight end in 12. Well, that really wasn't the case. Everett and Higby didn't have that many plays together last year. It was quite often, you know, Johnny Munt, you know, who's a good run blocker. If that happens all of a sudden, because the Rams are trying to make people think, are we running or are we passing? You have to put the pass blocking tight end on the field to make it work. As soon as they see Everett, who's terrible at run blocking, they're like, it's a pass. So it's not as simple as what some people think. And so when you think about that scenario, Ian, if I've got Josh Reynolds and I've got Johnny Munt and I've got Tyler Higby and I've got Robert Woods on the field, Woods has to be one of the top two reads every time. So I'm totally with you on the Robert Woods thing. I love it. And I mean, look, yeah, like you said, Reynolds is taking Cook's spot. We also have Van Jefferson there. And I know, a lot, like, you know, that was one of the most kind of widely mocked picks because not a lot of people had him going that high. But this is a round two pick. And, you know, I, as someone that doesn't, you know, I, I, I did not watch just a, enough college football and film going this year. I've been an XFL, AAF guy. You know, I'll work on that part of my analysis in the future. But, you know, I, I brought on smart people like, you know, Josh Norris from uh, Rotorworld and NBC Sports to give me, you know, the uh, get me caught up on these prospects. And, you know, according to Josh, Van Jefferson does everything that Cooper Cup does. And, you know, he's kind of that same player. Like, Van Jefferson is not there to replace Brandon Cooks. If anything, Van Jefferson could, you know, take away opportunities from Cup, maybe even from Woods. You know, I, I think Cups could be fine. Again, he's my wide receiver 25 ahead of Tyler Lockett, ahead of Keenan Allen. I'm not predicting the guy is going to bust this year or anything. But to your point, would not expect the same consistent production that we've seen over the past few years. All right. Couple more fades on my end, then we'll do a quick honorable mention round and we will get out of here, everyone. But two guys I wanted to bring up that I don't think anyone should be touching are Marlon Mack and Carryon Johnson. And this is, you know, to your point about your kind of running backs that you want to fade. It's not even these guys in particular, it's just their situations in general. Where we have two teams in Detroit and Indianapolis that, in our most recent sample size of these running backs, you know, Detroit was using four running backs the last two weeks of last season. Indy had three. And, you know, what has happened to both Mack and Carryon? They flashed over the years but every time they get a featured role they can't stay healthy and their coaching staff has to lean on other guys I mean we keep waiting for these dudes to break out but every single time they're in there we're still seeing Ty Johnson Bo Scarborough Jordan Wilkins Jonathan Williams Naeem Hines I mean more or less you know average to maybe a little bit above average back still you know putting their foot down and taking away time from these guys now in both offenses you know we've got higher round picks and Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift coming in you know now the favorite to lead the team in touches and i'm just looking at marlin and carry on and it's like even if in some scenario where jonathan taylor and swift get hurt or they get suspended they miss time 
I don't even think a three down roll is a waiting Mac or carry on. I mean, they are like not valuable handcuffs or backups. And in some, some cases they're being drafted ahead of some of these handcuffs that we'd feel more confident about getting three down rolls. I mean, I am taking Latavius Murray, Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison, Chase Edmonds. I'm taking them over these guys eight days of the week. And, you know, one of the top topics on fantasy Twitter recently has kind of been this discussion about handcuffs. And, you know, and I agree with the idea that you shouldn't draft uh, your specific running backs handcuff. And that just means, you know, if you already have Ezekiel Elliott, it's between Tony Pollard and Latavius Murray, draft Latavius Murray, because, you know, there's no scenario where Zeke and Pollard go off in the same season. There is one where Zeke and Latavius Murray do it. So, you know, I understand that to some extent, but that's implying that there's, you know, 30 some handcuffs out there that had three down rolls. Like I said, I really only think it's Murray, Pollard, Madison, Edmonds, you know, maybe we can make an argument for a few more, but I just want these three down handcuffs, period. If you can get Pollard and Murray, the more the merrier. I am staying away from these, you know, early down guys that, you know, if worse goes to worse, we're still only looking at, you know, maybe 15 touches a game, maybe 50% snaps. And we've, we know we've gotten Mac and carry on. It's not a three down roll. It's likely going to be a committee back. Are, do you have any interest in these guys this year? It, it all comes down to price. I, I totally get, you know, where you're at with the, those true three down cuffs. And I also agree that, um, you know, if JT, Jonathan Taylor was to go down, right. Max, Mac, I like a little more just because of the situation that he's in, right. He's, he's going to play behind a great offensive line. They want to try to run the ball more. He has, you know, hit a thousand yards, two different seasons. So, and I expect their defense to be better. So I like his situation to your point. He's not going to be a three down back. It'll be Naheem Hines coming in, you know, and then they'll re-sign Jordan Wilkins, you know, and then use him just enough to really annoy you. And to your point, like Mac last year, because every year I basically do this little, I don't want to call it a study, but I'll just call it a study. I look, okay, which, which running backs, right, were the most sensitive to game scripts? And Marlon Mack by far was number one, you know, last year. And it's because, you know, he doesn't get on the field on the passing downs. And so that makes him very susceptible to any time all of a sudden that the Colts are down, his game's over. And that's why you see the roller coaster. But he is on a, he is on a team that has a really good offensive line. So I like him. Um, I don't think I've drafted carry on yet. Um, but when I do take Mac, and if I were ever to consider taking carry on, it's, it is when they slide past ADP, right? So, like, I think that I've drafted Mac maybe once or twice, but it's, it, he slid to, like, the 10th round. Yeah. And I'm, like, just sitting there staring at it. I'm like, look, I'm going to grab a share, you know, of this because the situation is still good. He, yes, he's in a committee, you know, and, and that's honestly my problem with Jonathan Taylor right now is that, you know, he's in a committee too. And even if Mac goes down – you know, he's also going to be facing, you know, a similar situation where he could be very, very, very susceptible to game scripts. Now I think he's more talented than Mac. So obviously that gives you, you know, additional upside. And if they were just to dominate and be winning all these games, Jonathan Taylor could like win you your league. You know, it's similar to what Derek Henry did down the stretch last year. All of a sudden, you know, Tennessee wasn't trailing anymore. And guess what? Derrick Henry's staying on the field all the time and they just keep handing him the ball um, and the super hyper-efficient offense. So, I mean, you know, Jonathan Taylor could find himself in that spot. Matt could find himself in that spot, but I am with you like, and it's roster construction again. Like if for whatever reason I've got four backs and I'm going around 10 or 11, I'm, I'm with you. I'm taking one of the guys that I think can win my league. If the other guy goes down, you know, if I'm in a situation where, 
you know, maybe I've only got for whatever reason, two backs and I'm like, man, I need a bi week maybe filler and I, and a semi handcuff. Maybe I might lean more towards, you know, a guy like Mac, but again, they have to slide. I'm not taking them, you know, in, in the seventh or eighth round where I sometimes see them go, but when they slide, I'm willing to, you know, pull the trigger, especially Mac. Good point on the offensive line. And I was a little lower uh, than I am now on Jonathan Taylor throughout the offseason. I have not changed that because of the training camp vids, but it's just more of a realization <laughs> that this Colts offensive line, you know, PFS number one offensive line when you know, we, we released the rankings earlier in July, like that helps. It's like, you know, it's the running back equivalent to almost having like, you know, if you're a wide receiver, Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback, I mean, 200 carries for Jonathan Taylor behind the Colts offensive line. You know, we could say that's almost, you know, equal to 250 carries from, for Leonard Fournette behind the Jaguars offensive line. So definitely something to consider there. And uh, I hear you, but yeah, fourth or fifth running back, go shoot for the moon, shoot for that upside. Maybe Mac carry on can get you a couple okay weeks, but I just think more like in under almost no scenario this year, are you going to see those guys being must start? So uh, we will see, man. All right. Any honorable mention values and fades you want to get off your chest? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do give David Montgomery an, honor, an honorable mention, and he's a guy that I avoided like the plague last year. And, and the only reason, you know, is because if you look at like the requirements, you know, for what a running back one is from an, a standpoint of attempts, if you look at it from a standpoint of snaps, if you look at it from a standpoint of, you know, carries inside the five, he checks all three of those criteria. I still, I see his role staying similar. We could see your boy Corderell Patterson work in a little bit more. Um, you know, they've been talking a lot about him, but you know, Corderell, Corderell Patterson, it's like, I have to see it. I, I, I just don't believe in camp hype anymore as much as, and I love that guy coming out too. Uh, I remember trying to move the, the world and earth, like, you know, just to try to get him in a dynasty draft and it didn't work out and I was so bummed. But when I look at David Montgomery, um, you know, I look at him and I'm like, you know, really Montgomery is probably very similar to what we're talking about with David Johnson um, even Lenny Fournette and some of those other guys, but I can get him in the fifth, late fifth round, sometimes the early six. So if, if my really my requirement is just that I want to know that I'm likely to get the volume, but I don't care if I'm real efficient, then I, I like Montgomery. The other thing that I try to think about, you know, Ian, is I always try to think about, you know, okay, what are some mistakes I've made in the past? Even though some of them may be, I'm, I'm more of a data and a process guy, but still, I think there's room for like this anecdotal kind of evidence. And so the one that always gets me is I remember Le'Veon Bell's rookie year being excited about him. He didn't really look good. Um, you know, he was overweight, didn't really have, you know, the, the kind of, uh, you know, quickness to his feet, um, you know, and, and, the, and the offensive line for the Steelers was a problem that year as well. But for all these reasons, basically, you know, he just didn't do well. And so I basically wrote him off. And I remember the next year he was kind of creeping up in drafts and going in the third, fourth round. And I'm thinking, man, that's just a volume play. That's just a volume play. Week one, he comes out and he's like just shredded. You know, he's a different, total different looking body. And, and they're very similar kind of styles, right? I mean, they're east-west kind of guys. You know, they're quicker than they are fast. And so sometimes you just kind of have to give some of these guys, you know, a benefit of the doubt. You know, the, the issue for Montgomery versus a guy like Bell, obviously, is you have Treat Cohen. And he, he immediately caps, you know, that's the one thing you didn't hear me say is that he hits, you know, what you want from a routes run or from a target standpoint. He's, he's a decent receiver, but he's capped because Tariq Cohen, you know, is a guy that really, you know, that's how they want to get him involved. So that's a, bit, a little bit limiting, you know, to David Montgomery. And so Montgomery's not a guy like I'm racing to get, but I do think like that fifth, sixth round price, I'm like, you know, I mean, I don't mind owning, you know, a few shares of David Montgomery at the price. 
probably the cheapest back that you can, you know, reasonably expect 250 or more touches from. And, you know, going back 2010, 141 of 150 backs that have gotten at least 250 touches have finished as a top 24 PPR RB. Now, 2019, Dave Montgomery was one of those nine that didn't hit. But <laughs> even with Tariq Cohen, man, I mean, Tariq just had one of like the least efficient seasons as a high usage receiver that we have ever seen. I mean, this dude averaged, I think it was like, 4.3 yards per target or something like just absolutely miserable so while i do think Tariq, like he's not going to be removed from the offense it wouldn't be shocking to see montgomery get some sort of chance for the pass down work or maybe my guy c patches takes over and becomes the baller that we all know he is but probably not uh, a couple more well, values well, i mean just last year just real quick yeah last yeah. year whenever the bears were leading Montgomery did stay on the field and he, he was actually seeing more of the routes, more of the targets. So it's basically, it's like when they get into that trail mode, which their defense is pretty good. So there's room, right. For that to improve, you know, as well. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, you good. You're good. But yeah. So, I mean, Dave Montgomery, again, at that price, it's fine. And if you do find yourself in these drafts, not getting the early running backs, you know, taking your Devontae Adams or Michael Thomas's of the world. Yes, go ahead and scoop up Dave Montgomery. Like, that's not a bad guy to throw in your RB2 or even flex spot uh, more weeks than not. Uh, I'm just going to list a few off. I, I had an article come out on um, Monday this week where it's just my guys, my top 10 players, and I'll have a fade list uh, coming out Thursday. So, you know, more words on those guys in there. But, you know, you mentioned it before, but Adam Thielen is someone that I'm really high on this year. I think everyone looks at that Stefan Diggs 94 target from last year they don't look at Gary Kubiak's whole career man his wide receiver one has averaged 138 targets per season I mean you only have to go back to 2018 to find the last time that Thielen was a top seven fantasy wide receiver uh Gardner Minshew I think is the premier late round quarterback the more I go into it you know fifth in rushing yards last season he has that kind of DGAF YOLO ball style that we saw from uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick last year. I mean, underrated chance for Minshew and uh, DJ Chark to kind of be the 2020 version of what we saw from Fitzpatrick and Devontae Parker in 2019. Really like Henry Ruggs. He's starting to creep up the ADP a little more than I would like, but I think, uh, you know, Seeing Darren Waller, Jared Cook really dominate over these last two years has kind of given this impression that John Gruden's a tight end guy. I don't know, man. You go to 2002, 2008, Joey Galloway, Keyshawn Johnson, Keenan McCardell, Antonio Bryant, Michael Clayton. All these guys had 120-plus target seasons, and that's not even mentioning what Gruden did you know, with Tim Brown and Jerry Rice in his first stint with the Raiders. So I think he's been waiting to get an alpha wide receiver. And, you know, who's that? I know everyone loves their Brian Edwards, but, you know, Brian Edwards is not the first receiver selected in the draft. That was Mr. Henry Ruggs and then quickly uh fades man Tom Brady dude I'm just not taking him I'm not going out of my way to get him I saw him as a borderline QB I don't think he's going to crash and burn or anything but you know this is a situation where I think the Buccaneers will be much more ball control than we saw from last year I, I, mean, I just don't think it's fair to you know you know assume that Brady's going to be throwing the ball as much as Jameis did give me you know Breeze Stafford Matt Ryan over Brady in terms of just you know the similar aging gunslingers you know and I'm taking the top eight you know mobile quarterbacks over Brady any day of the week and then finally Darren Wall and Hayden Hurst and you know we talked about the tight end strategy before and that's really all it comes down to is a scenario where each of these guys balls out but too much risk for me to devote a top 10 pick to them and yeah man that's gonna do it any uh final thoughts no we just finally have our first disagreement <laughs> yeah Brady <laughs> Brady for me um you know I kind of have these trigger points in the draft basically um you know if you get to the eighth and Dak is there you do it if you get to the 10th or 11th and Josh Allen is there you do it if you get you miss on both of those and you get to the 12th, 13th round, then Brady is my guy. 
Um, and I just, you know, when I look at the situation, I, I totally get the idea around, you know, the, the, the chance for them to run the ball more and pass the ball less. But again, when you look at how the team is built, um, they're really not built to, to, to run the ball that well. They don't really have, you know, I don't think they have a great running back on their team, you know, at least as of, you know, I'm not convinced of that right now. Um, the other thing is Arians and Brady have both shown over the history of their careers to be willing to put, you know, their, the pedal to the metal when it comes to the passing game, when they have the weapons. And so I think there's really still a really good chance, you know, that you could see like a 58, 42 pass to run split. And in fact, that's where I have them. I would say that's their median. I mean, I, it could end up 60, 40, it could end up like 56, 44. But when you look at the weapons, you know, that Brady's got, you know, for me, it's just hard to, I mean, because anytime you look back, and I know he's older now, but I mean, if you look at any time he's had at least two decent weapons, here's what it looks like. So in 2019, he had Edelman and James White, not very good. He was QB 13. The year before that, he had Edelman, White, Gronk, and Josh Gordon. He was QB 12. Again, those are all old. So when I say this, these guys played at least 10 games in the year, right? Yeah. So then you go back to 2016. All he had was Edelman and White. He was QB 19. But then you go to 15. He had Gronk healthy all season. He was QB 3. You have Edelman, Gronk, and Brandon LaFell the next year, QB9. You have Welker, Brandon LaFell, Gronkowski, QB3. Welker, Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez, QB3. Welker, Deion Branch, Hernandez, QB3. So, I mean, any, and again, I know it. he's older, but at the same time, you know, he's, you could argue that these are the best weapons he's ever had. And, and Brady, man, he's, he slides. People aren't, a lot of people are off of him. So, for me, I'm good with it. I'm not worried about his deep ball accuracy. You know, PFF, you know, looks at all that kind of stuff, and he, you know, Brady's deep ball accuracy is fine. If you look at him over 20 yards last year, he's plus 11.5% versus the NFL average. You know, so does he have to anticipate more? He can't just wing it like maybe he used to. Yeah, so it'll be key for him to get in, you know, into a groove, you know, with his receivers. But Brady is definitely kind of, you know, he's sitting right there as like my, he's a trigger for me. When he makes it to a certain spot, I'm, I'm all over it. Right, that's fair. I'm happy we got at least one disagreement in there. And I'll tell you what, man, I'm seeing, you know, the Buccaneers uh, social media team putting out some Brady the Evans dimes and definitely making me waver a little bit. We'll see uh, what happens as we get closer to week one. But thanks again for coming on, dude. This was awesome. A lot of good information. Everyone make sure you follow uh, Dwayne on Twitter at Dwayne McFarland, a.k.a. Context Matters. A uh, nice picture of him looking sharp in a, in a tie and button down over on the old Twitter sphere. I'm Ian Harditz. Thank you all for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, Tuesday, Thursday shows as early. Uh, as always, make sure you check out the team previews. And thank you all for checking in. Until next time.